got a little video clip to start with. I'm wanting to love them for who they are, where they are, in that moment, whatever that looks like. That is the person that I've been entrusted with for that half hour to four hours or whatever. And I'm, I'm called to do something for that person in that time. I had a, a brand new client sit in my chair and the second time I cut his hair divulged a drinking problem he had. I didn't know this guy for more than 45 minutes. And I, I'm like, wow. But it's interesting who God put in my chair because there's a history of that. I have a history of that. So I didn't have to say anything. He just kind of, and I just listened. And over the course of our relationship, over the following years, it was so hard. How did you do this? He would ask questions during a haircut. I mean, it's a haircut. When people get real, and that's another thing people tend to do in my chair, they tend to get real pretty quick, which I love, I love. Um, but it's, it enables me to, to further come alongside of them. And that might be what I'm supposed to be here for, and that's good enough. Yeah? When I very first moved to California. So many people that sit in my chair are going through so many things in life that you know you wouldn't it's said that we're told more than most bartenders. Uh, so part hairdresser, part therapist, part counselor. And I take that part pretty seriously. So I like it when people leave feeling better than when they came in. And if they like their hair on top of it, it's kind of a good thing. Everyone, if you do simple mathematics, uh, has approximately, they have 8,760 hours in a typical year. So obviously a leap year, there's an extra day. You get some extra hours that year. So you better hope that year's a good year. So most average years, you've got 8,760 hours. Of that, if you're good at sleeping, if you have a good normal rhythm of sleeping, if you sleep for about seven and a half hours a night, which is the recommended amount, uh, you'll spend about 2,737 hours of sleep. Now, obviously, not everyone follows that, and different seasons of life will be different around that, but let's just work with the recommended average for now. Uh, that leaves you 6,023 hours uh, to be used for whatever else you might actually need to do across that year. Uh, now, let's just say that for if you work full-time, uh, that would be 1,800 hours spent in full-time work. So that's 37 and a half hours a week across 48 weeks. Again, different people here will have different rhythms, different realities around that. But it's going to be just give or take a little bit in that space. So of your 6,023 hours you have left, you will spend 1,800 hours a year in full-time work. Uh, if you do the average, which is to work full-time from about 30 to 65, this is taking into effect that people will take some years off, 
Some people start working much earlier, but then obviously for different reasons in life won't necessarily work full-time the whole way through. But if you were to work full-time from age 30 to age 65, you would spend 63,000 hours at work. 63,000 hours of your life will be spent at work. Now, how you view this number depends on how you view work. If you look at that number and go, oh my goodness, 63,000 hours. That's particular your work. If you look at 63,000 hours, come on, give me some more. That's another view of work. How should we view work? What does the Bible teach us about work? What is the Christian view around work? So we continue our series looking at a Christian worldview. We're wanting to boil down the basics of the Christian faith. Uh, what are the, the very key aspects that we go into saying that my worldview, the way that I see the world, is as a Christian? Uh, we covered off origins for a few weeks and we looked at how the world was created and the different options around that and the different ways that are believed. Uh, we looked at the fall. Uh, we looked at different things in that space. And the last time that we met, we looked at the idea of meaning, of purpose. We had our first session looking at meaning and purpose. And to recap what we looked at there, one of the key words we looked at was the Hebrew word avodah, which is the Hebrew word for worship. It has a Greek equivalent, which is used across the New Testament, and they, they're very, very similar. Basically, where you see Avadar in the Old Testament, its equivalent is very closely associated with the word Latreia, which is a Greek word for worship. But this word can also be translated as work or labor, or it can be translated as serve or service, its equivalent word. And the same word could be used in so many different contexts. And so you might read it in your Bibles and it'll say the word worship. And then in another context, it'll be the word work. And in another context, it'll be the word serve. They're, inter in, they're interchangeable. They're interconnected. They have the same background and premise. And so last week, we did a deep, deep dive into worship. What does it mean to worship? What does it mean to live a life of worship? And for this week, we're going to take a bit of a deep dive into work. That's what we all love. We're all really excited about work and you're all really glad that you got tomorrow off, aren't you? Or at least many of you. Not everyone has your work shift that you don't. I was going to say not all of us necessarily do, but many of us do because it's a public holiday. But where does even that come from? Uh, so we're starting off last week. The very first place the word's used actually in Genesis 2.5. But in terms of looking at work and looking at our purpose of that today, we're going to start off in Genesis 2 verse 15. And if you want to know the meaning of life. This is actually the most important verse in the entire Bible. Because this verse tells you directly why God made us. It actually goes back before the fall and before things all go pear-shaped. And actually tells us directly in the beginning, why did God even bother with humans? And the reason why that's important is it's actually really important to understand how that purpose, though it gets warped through the fall, continues on 
in the world today. So Genesis 2.15 says this, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Now, you'll see here that the created purpose of humankind was to work. That was actually the creative purpose of God. I also very deliberately put humankind there because at this stage, Adam and Eve aren't separate entities. At this stage, it is just the Adam, the man. Eve has not been formed out of Adam yet. And so when the purpose is given to mankind, it's actually when they're united as one. So when God takes Eve out of Adam, he doesn't remove the purpose and only Adam has that purpose that was given and Eve is given some other purpose. No, she is created as his helper, which is actually not a great translation. It should be ally, essential other, the one that could not. He effectively what God is saying is, Adam can't do what is needed for this purpose alone. He needs an easer, an other, an ally, an essential other to complete the purposes of God. But also, and as I said, the words are interchangeable here. So it says work. But you could also use the word serve. Created the garden, so in, in the Garden of Eden, to serve and take care of it. You wouldn't say, you'd put worship there, but you wouldn't say worship it because that makes it sound like it's worshiping the garden. If you were to translate this from the Hebrew and use the word worship there, it would be that he put him in the garden to worship and take care of it. That actually in working the garden, in caring for the garden, in taking care of the garden, Adam would be worshiping God. That there is an intrinsic link in the created order between the worship of God and how we work. And that's a really important thing to grasp if we're to understand how God views work and how we're to live in the world today. Uh, Genesis 3, 17 to 19, we see something go wrong. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. And so we do see that as part of the fall, work is cursed. That created purpose is broken. And so there is a reality that actually work is not necessarily as it was meant to be originally. There, there's a curse to it. It talks about having to sweat and having to work hard. And there'll be thorns and thistles and there'll be things that get in the way of that created order. But that's not where it ends. And we'll continue to look at that. Uh, where does our contemporary view of work come from? Where, where do our ideas of what work is and why we do work the way we do it? Uh, and I actually think that some of this will really be like, hang on a second, is, is that really what it is? And I think it is. Uh, in ancient Greek thought, work was a curse. 
In ancient Greek thought, work was a terrible thing. It was a necessary evil. Something to be avoided, if at all possible. So in, in ancient Greece, the best thing you could do would be to find ways to not have to work. If you could get out of work, you absolutely would. So your life goal, your purpose, the reason you existed, your meaning in life was to get rich. Because if you got rich, you could have some leisure time, you could just sort of sit back and relax, or you could pay, enslave. And the word enslave is actually connected to our word of work, but it's the negative version of it. You could enslave others to work for you. So ancient Greek thought, don't work, it's a curse, do as little as you can, get rich so that you can have lots of leisure time. So this is actually where the Western contemporary idea of leisure and work being separate things was birthed. It's, it's kind of second nature to us that work and leisure is separate, but actually in a lot of cultures, that is just not true. In a lot of cultures, they are not divorced. The idea that work would be one thing and that your free, fun, leisure time would be another is actually not a part of their understanding of the world. But that is the way that the Western world operates and it directly comes from our history from ancient Greece that has followed on down through the generations. And the focus of leisure in this context is always the self. The idea that I want to have some downtime for me and I'm, I don't want to make it sound like that's a terrible thing. We'll get to that. But it is. It's, it's self-focus. I'll work and do what I have to do to pay the bills, to get things done, so that I can have some free time for me. And this disconnect between work and leisure is from ancient Greek thought. And so successful people, the mark of a successful person was someone who was rich enough they never had to work. Now, they might have inherited that wealth and did absolutely nothing of it for themselves, but they were successful because they were from a successful family. And that was how you knew that you had success. You didn't need to work. And you might have picked up on this if you, if you hadn't already thought about it. This is not the biblical worldview. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if that, that's your world. It's like, yes, I like that world. I want to get as much as I can and have as much leisure time and work as little as I can. It's just not the biblical worldview. You will find nowhere in the pages of the Bible where it divorces the idea of work and leisure, at least not in those clear key categories like that. The, the idea that you would work and just do the work you need to do to pay the bills to get things done so that you can have time for yourself is just not the way the Bible views The Bible views work in its appropriate context. So this is not to say you need to go and work 24 hours a day. Okay, That is also not what the Bible says. In its appropriate context, work is a worshipful rhythm of life. In its appropriate context, work is a worshipful rhythm of life. It's finding a way of living 
so that you can actually be a person of worship 24-7. Uh, how do you worship when you're asleep? Well, maybe it's just you're just nice and peaceful. I, I don't quite know that one, but that's the premise behind it, is that you actually find a rhythm of life. I guess we need rest. Rest is part of the created order. But work, in a biblical perspective, is a worshipful rhythm of life. Uh, now, I didn't use this on the first week because there's actually a few more words that that word for work can be used as, but it is also in some places translated as prayer. There are some contexts where the word avodah is actually translated as prayer, and it's this idea that actually when you get work in sync, when you get work and you're viewing work through the lens that God created you to view it through, it's like you find a way to live a prayer-filled life. Not because every moment of the day you're sitting there with your eyes closed and you bow down praying some words to God. That's a very limited view of prayer. But actually that your life becomes a life filled with prayer. And that's the rhythm that you live. It's a really important perspective. Can you click the next one for me, Teddy? It doesn't seem to be working. Again, gremlins in the system. Uh, in its wrong context. I sort of alluded to this before. In its wrong context, it has connotations of slavery. And again, I want to be clear here. Is slavery in the Bible? Yes, it is. But it's never expressed as a good thing. It's not necessarily expressed as something you have to get out of. And so in the New Testament, uh, Paul says, if you're able to get out of being a slave, get out of being a slave. But even in your slavery, even if you are enslaved, you can still find a worshipful rhythm of life. If you're not in the capacity to actually be freed from your slavery, you can find a way of living in that context with a worshipful rhythm of life. Uh, 2 Corinthians verse, chapter 5, verse 16 to 20 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, so anyone who's a Christian, anyone who's decided to follow Jesus, the new creation has come. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. This is not in its fullness. This is not when Jesus has returned and we've given our, our, full, our eternal glory. But when you decide to follow Jesus, you don't need to wait till you die to start living in the new kingdom. That when you decide to follow Jesus, there's an aspect of this life that you can commit to actually living in the way that God actually designed for us to live in from the very beginning. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Uh, Jesus actually began the process of reconciling the world back to its original intention. It's not that we have to wait till Jesus returns to bring all that back to that way. 
And so it's actually really important as we go back to that Genesis verse in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, where we're given the created order. The purpose for us was to work the garden, to take care of the garden, to take care of the world that we'd been placed in. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying up here we need to all go out and, and start you know, just looking after the environment. That's not the fullness of this. That's breaking it down into the small things. But rediscovering the purpose of work and a biblical view of how we view work is part of reconciling the world to how God intended things to be. And in our Western contemporary world where we break down work into the necessary evil that we kind of do when we have to so that we can have as much free time as we can, earn the funds to pay the bills, we actually rob work of its God-given purpose. And we make it a drudgery. We make it something we have to tolerate. We have to do just enough to get just enough. And we rob it of God's intentions behind it. In Colossians 3, verse 17 and verse 23 to 24, it says this, And whatever you do, whatever, wherever you find yourself, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, work at it. What's happened there? You've clicked on something. Give me time, sorry. Again, lots of gremlins. We'll work through that. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Again, so this is that Latreia word, which is connected. So New Testament Latreia, Old Testament Avoda. You know the boss that you don't like? You're not actually working for that boss. Okay, you are, so do what they tell you, because otherwise you'll get fired. I was giving you freedom there for a moment, wasn't I? No, no. You're actually serving God in those contexts. This doesn't mean you need you to stay in terrible workplaces. There are toxic workplaces. The Bible is not telling you to stay in toxic workplaces. But the way you view your work, whatever it is that you are doing, needs to be viewed as a connection to your created purpose. That in that workplace, whatever it might be, and you might have different jobs across different seasons of life, there are ways of viewing that work that are in line with living a worshipful rhythm and there are ways of living and working in that place which is just about paying the bills and doing what you have to do to get by. And they are very, very different. All of life, all 24 hours in a day are to be lived on purpose for God's purpose. I love that video before of the hairdresser. Now, it's great for people that have found that one, that niche that they really love and everything about their work, they can sort of see how it's connected. That's not the case for everyone and that can be a challenge. But I love how she clearly had an understanding that she was doing more than just cutting hair. She clearly had an understanding that in that workplace, she had people coming to her and she had something else to offer them. They thought they were just getting a haircut. 
They thought they were just coming in to get a new look. Well, they were potentially getting a new look, but it was a new look on life, not just their hair. And she had a clear understanding of how she was living out Avodah, worship, through her words. And Matthew 6, verse 24, it says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, the word here for serve is not latreia, it's dulio. Uh, which is kind of like kind of like servant or that sort of thing, but it's a sister word to a trio. It's a, it's very very closely connected to it. It's this idea that you you can't you just cannot serve both God and money. That if you're going to be serving God, money is not necessarily going to be the most important aspect. Okay, you need to pay the bills, you need to do those sort of things, but it's got to be under the understanding of how you're living out your life in service to God. And so if you think about it, if you, if you divorce work and, and leisure, and the only time that you're worshipping God is when you're at work, and then you've got this leisure time to do what you want to do, you're actually removing service of God from your leisure time. That actually in that time, you should be just as much at work, okay, maybe not your paid employment, as when you're actually at your paid employment. It's a worshipful rhythm of life. So how we approach work will help how we divine, sorry, define how we view God and money. How we see work will help define how we view God and money. And one of the challenges that we have living in our Western contemporary culture is we actually are pretty comfortable. Now, we're going through some cost of living challenges, and I don't want to diminish those. Don't hear me saying that you've got no challenges. That's not what I'm saying. But really, in our Western context, we've actually got a pretty decent, easy lifestyle. Right? There are parts of the world where actually their whole life will be lived not knowing where their next meal will come from. And that's just part of their world. And so we have to be very careful in the way that we view what we need and be really clear with how that connects to what we actually need and that we don't let our desire and our drive to have comfort and, and ease supersede our role of living a worshipful, work-focused lifestyle. This might interest you, this might surprise you, this might make you go, really? Like I thought when I died, I got past all this. What are we going to do with heaven? Well, there's a lot of things that we can talk to, and I'm actually going to be talking on heaven in a few weeks' time. Even saying, what are we going to do in heaven is actually incorrect. I should have fixed this one because I changed my language after writing my message on destiny. We don't spend eternity in heaven. So that come back in a few weeks' time and I'll talk to that. Revelation 22, verse 1 to 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. Okay, it's a city. You'll find that out. Uh, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. 
And the leaves of the trees are the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. And his servants will serve. And that is that word, Latreia. His servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them life. And they will reign forever and ever. Do you know we will actually work for eternity? Now pick yourself out of the chair for the moment. You will actually work for eternity. It won't be the drudgery that we often boil work down to in this life. And so let me say that. But part of the problem of viewing work as a negative experience, part of viewing work as a necessary evil, which is often the way we view it, we actually are robbing the reality that it is part of our created being. And it is actually connected to what we will do in eternity. Now, exactly what that work looks like and how that plays out. And, you know, there's a whole lot of things around that. But this life is not about removing work. Now, a rabbit hole that I'm not going to go down today, but I'll fly the kite because I, if I had an extra sermon on this series, I would do it. Retirement is not a biblical concept. There is nothing in the Bible about retiring. That doesn't mean that you do your drudgery for the whole of your life. And hopefully that you, part of today's message is that you shouldn't be doing drudgery. Anyway, retirement is not part of the Christian worldview. We will work for eternity. The premise of the biblical worldview around this is finding a rhythm of life and being reconciled to way of viewing the world that your work life actually just becomes a way of living life. And that is actually part of what Jesus would want for you. And you're still going to have to do things you don't like to do. There are still going to be aspects of every job that you're just like, you know what, this is the bit that makes me hate work, so I just won't do that. Yeah, that's not going to work, so that's also not the answer. But looking at work through a different lens is actually a really important part of reconciling the idea of work to a biblical worldview. Work is so much more than a job. So much more than just your paid employment. So much more. Parenting is work. Anyone who's a parent will go, yes. It can be difficult at times. But then it's also rewarding. And, and finding a... Whoa, yep, there we go. We're doing well today. It's just the way it is. Finding a rhythm of life and a way of living your life and finding a rhythm of parenting and a way of parenting is a really important part of living a life that you can manage and handle and thrive through. Uh, a few quotes as we sort of draw towards the close. And Rick Warren wrote a book called A Purpose Driven Life. It's been around for a long time now, but it still is a really, really good book. Work becomes worship. When you dedicate it to God and perform it with an awareness of his presence. Work becomes worship when you dedicate it to God and perform it with an awareness of his presence. It doesn't mean the challenges of work go away. Because remember I said before that there's 
the, the New Testament would teach, if you're a slave, you can still have a worshipful approach to your work. Hopefully you don't feel like a slave, but you know. Uh, Tim Keller recently passed away, but he says this. Uh, so your work matters to God and his church. This is what he says. He was really big on this idea of reclaiming work. The largest force the church has to accomplish its mission is the people of God engaged in the life of the world every day in the course of their daily work. The largest force, the best thing a church could do, if the church could only do one thing, it should work to help people accomplish its mission as the people of God engaged in the life of the world every day in the course of their daily work. Actually, where you potentially have the greatest chance to make the greatest impact is in your daily work. So a couple of questions to leave with. I'm actually not going to give a lot of answers here. I want you to take these away and sort of think about them. Is work a job or a calling? Is it both? Is it neither? Is there more to it? Does it matter? I think there are times where job is a job. And there are times in life where you will be doing just what you need to do. But even in those times, you get to choose how you view that workplace. You get to choose how you talk about that workplace. You get to choose how you interact in that workplace. And then there are times that you land on a job that you know is so much more than just a job. It is a calling, and even though there are days you go, but I'm not sure that I'm called. It's a calling. It's something that you feel is deeply connected to the way God has you wired. I think both of these have ways of being a worshipful witness. Uh, how might following Jesus impact on how you work? You should actually look a bit different. It should be that those that are following Jesus do actually have a different approach to how they work and how they view work and how they talk about being away from work and help break down that connection and that divide that has come between work and leisure. What do you do with ambition? Are you ambitious to rise up the ladder and what's behind that ambition? Is that ambition to get the next pay grade so you can get the next car so you can get the next house? Or is it because the next level up will actually help you live a more connected version of what God has called you to or what God has enabled you for? Maybe it's both and maybe you can do both, but what do you do? And make sure that the thing that's driving your ambition is actually coming from a place connected to worship of God. Make sure what's driving that ambition to do more or get more or have more or be more is in some way connected with what God actually has. I know of some people that have looked back over their journey and they wish they'd stayed in jobs they had earlier in their career. They took more jobs because they wanted the pay packet, but they were actually living out their purpose a whole lot more in other seasons of their life. Others have actually been able to have more impact on their workplace because they've moved up through the ranks and in doing so have created cultures which better serve the people that work within them. It's not either or. 
but what's behind your ambition? And then finally for yourself, maybe you need to go away and actually spend some time reflecting. What would a biblical rhythm of life, how, how can you view your work and whether that work is just your paid employment or maybe you've got some volunteer work or maybe you've been retired and you're actually volunteering or maybe you're in a different season of life where actually your work is very different. But how do you help start to break the mold of seeing work as just something that you tolerate? Because that, that is not the way that the Bible would teach us to view work. There are aspects of your job which you will probably dislike. There are aspects of being a pastor I don't love. There are aspects of it that are just part of the role. And I'm sure you've got the same in your workplaces. But what might it look like, rather than just seeing the hours that you've got to toil through as being something you get through because you need that, and actually see your work in light of your created order. And if you have no way of seeing what you do, if you just cannot connect what you are paid for with any sense of living a life of worship or rhythm with God, you're probably in the wrong workplace. If that's all you can do and that's the only way you see it is I just work because I just need the money because I just need to pay the bills and you cannot see a way to connect it with a worshipful rhythm of life, I would actually go as far as to suggest that the Bible would say you are not in the right workplace for yourself. Lord, I, I want to thank you that you created us to work. That, that work is not a bad thing. I want to thank you that you will provide us the opportunity in eternity to live out the fulfillment of our purpose in a way which we just can't even imagine in this life. But while we are here, Lord, I pray you would help us to find a sense of your purpose in and through whatever it is that we do. Help us in particularly, Lord, in the West, where we, have, we do have such a strong divide between work and leisure and have such a drive to diminish work and have as much free time as we can. Lord, help us to be reminded that you called us 24-7. And so, Lord, help us to live out each of our hours in light of your purposes. Help us to find ways to live in a rhythm of worship, work, service, and prayer, in and through all that we do. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.